3: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I mean, it sucks those guys not
1: respecting us. um, They come into Lincoln and think that, you know, they can win this with ease and um, that
4: this isn't even a little rivalry, you know. Definitely hurts, but I mean, we just use that as momentum. And I think uh, the guys are really focused in, dialed in. This is a big week. We really want to show everybody that we're here.
0: Uh, well, we're looking forward to the matchup. You know, it's a Black Friday game, and, um, you know, we're excited to play them. Really, that's all it comes down to. They've beaten us the last four times, and, and, um, we're excited to go out and have another game to play this this Friday. Uh,
4: we, we got a lot of respect for their program they're consistent, they're solid, they're tough, they're physical. I got a lot of respect for uh, Coach Ferentz. He's, he's been a good friend and uh, acquaintance for a long time. I think he does things the right way. Uh, so we're playing a good team. Look forward to renewing that in a few years and having it be the last game of the year every year. With us sharing a border with them, I think that makes sense. But again, rivalries are usually for fans. Um, we need to focus on Trying to accomplish
1: a mission. And welcome here to this special edition of the Husker Online Show. We're a little earlier here for you all this week as it is a short week for everybody in this country as we get ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. And most importantly, Black Friday football here in Lincoln. It's Nebraska and Iowa the ninth time these teams have met since joining the Big Ten Conference, Iowa has won the last four. They want they're now up in the series five to three, and that was after Bo Polini handed Mike Riley a three to one series lead. So this has uh, been a series. Uh, that Iowa has controlled, and they're once again the favorites again here coming into Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Now, next year, guys, this series will take a little bit of a break. Um, It's the uh, Sean Eichhorst fork in the road of the series as uh, Nebraska and (laughs) Iowa will play earlier in November, and instead we'll get uh, a nice – Manufactured Black Friday series with Minnesota and PJ Fleck for two seasons.
5: Yeah, turn up the tradition. That's what it's all about. Minnesota, Nebraska on Black Friday, baby. Woohoo! That's just terrible. <laughs> I don't even. Ugh. It's
1: that's... here, and by the way, that's another home game. So the one positive spin you get is two Black Fridays, two in Black a row. Fridays in a row, baby. Yeah. So two Thanksgivings at home for the the Klauses, the Washett's, and the Callahan family. But other than that, um, not a lot of silver lining as this has built into a nice brand, a nice rivalry, and. I know with Iowa and the conference, they consider Wisconsin their chief rival, but you could argue Nebraska is growing quickly into becoming right up there with them. Yes. And, and Minnesota, obviously, Minnesota, the, 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 the Florida. Rosedale. Yeah,
5: Floyd Rosedale, the whatever. The pig. The, the, pigs. the, pig, the yeah, pig trophy. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, those other rivalries I think have obviously more tradition, uh, just been around longer and you know have more of a um, a base around it. But what Nebraska and Iowa have is pure fan disdain. I mean, those two fan bases don't like anything about the other, uh, and so I think it goes beyond just uh, you know the players and coaches on the field. This is one that resonates far more, I think, with the fans, uh, and I think it's, that's what you get with just kind of the natural border, the only border rival Nebraska has in this conference, um, and you know the fact that Iowa has dominated the series, I think, has kind of swayed Nebraska fans to look at this differently than maybe they did when early they joined on, the conference. Nebraska. Yeah. I
1: mean, Polini kind of toyed with Iowa, and then it led to. Sean Eichhorst making the comment, you know, we didn't even Mm -hmm. care about Nebraska's win over Iowa or Pliny's win over Iowa because we had to look at where Iowa's program was. Then all of a sudden they got good the next four years.
5: Yeah, and all of a sudden they have won, what, last four in a row and five of the last six. Uh, So, I mean, this has been kind of pure domination uh, by the Hawkeyes, and they've made sure that Nebraska fans hear about it as much as possible on social media or people people that live close to Iowa or in Iowa that, that go to work and have to hear from their coworkers every day. So this is one that I think that has just kind of organically developed I know they lot, don't even sell their stadium out, though. That's what's crazy. Iowa does not sell out games. But they beat Nebraska, and for Nebraska fans, that's that's where it, the line is. It's, it's it's an annoying rivalry and one that, like I said, it was forced, I think, to coming into the year where they made the, the trophy and all that. But I think when Iowa had the success it did, it kind of turned— stole all it, the hats at
1: the—that's
5: yeah. <laughs> the, another story for off the air. It turned the conversation— We took all the uh, heroes at yeah, trophy <laughs> It turned the conversation to uh, one where Nebraska actually had to look at Iowa differently.
0: Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's another team that Iowa hates more than Nebraska. And it's – I mean, I, I feel like that was before Nebraska even really got into the Just Big Ten. Just read the message boards. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've always hated Nebraska. Um, and, and, and They call and, us the
1: Nebraska the nubs, The nubs, The noobs.
0: And, and then, um, you know, you, of course, you, you kind of look at how things started once Nebraska did get in the Big Ten and, and how, you know, basically Husker fans refused to call Iowa a rival – um, and then the, I think that the tipping point was most definitely the I course comment about, you know, saying, well, we don't even really know where Iowa's was programs at or whatever. And, um, and everything's kind of been downhill since that point in time. So, so yeah, this is a big game. Um, and I think after getting, after not only getting beat, but getting beat pretty, pretty good the last four years, uh, I think a lot of Husker fans have finally come around to embracing this rival, uh, and, and kind of. Uh, having having somewhat as much disdain for, for the Hawkeyes as they have for the Huskers.
1: Yeah, I've tried to define what the rivalry is, and I think a lot of it is the 80s and the 90s. Nebraska was a far superior program over Iowa And they never played each other. And Nebraska kind of rubbed it in their face like, oh, yeah, you guys stink and we're the national champions. And now Iowa, they think Nebraska still lives, obviously, in that past glory. And that annoys them, that annoys their media, that annoys everyone around the program that they still talk about the past. And then Nebraska will fire back. You know, you act like you guys are on some historical high, but really Iowa – You know, hasn't they? They've played for one Rose Bowl recently under Ferentz, and an Orange Bowl about seven, eight years ago. But they haven't really, obviously, won a conference championship or done anything at a really, really high level. And I think that's where Nebraska fans will get annoyed back. Like you guys act like you're Ohio State or Michigan, and you pump your chest because you've beaten Nebraska's. Three or four worst teams in, in modern day history.
5: Yeah, and I think that's again what uh, has changed the whole dynamic of this thing. Whereas Nebraska, for you know, going into joining the Big Ten, would have never even considered Iowa at their level. I mean, they were so far beyond or behind um, everything that the that Nebraska's program had accomplished that it wasn't even worth their time. It was a lot like. You know, Tom Osborne's comments about how Colorado desperately wanted to be Nebraska's rival, but, you know, Nebraska always whipped Colorado and they won championships and, and did all these things that Colorado could only dream about. Well, now, you know that uh, the playing field has been leveled a bit and Nebraska's been humbled in a major way and Iowa has completely now, dominated Colorado the Colorado won a
1: national title. I mean, in 90, 90, 91 to 92, 93, Colorado was a top-five team and they won a national championship. I mean, a little bit different there. I mean, Colorado elevated themselves Tom because – Tom Osborne
5: said himself he never considered Colorado a rival. And McCartney, whatever, circled the, the game in red and, like, didn't allow anybody to wear red on campus. So, I mean – yeah, Colorado did more than Iowa, but uh, they weren't even a blip on Tom Osborne's radar. You know, it was Oklahoma that that was the deal. So uh, I, I think the what you know this this rivalry has become is you know Nebraska just desperately needs to to shut Iowa fans up because right now they have all the bra- bragging rights. Yeah,
0: that's that's the the bottom line for Nebraska right now is is just shutting Iowa up and finding a way to to kind of to get this first notch in Scott Frost's belt when it comes to this series and, and then, you know, kind of keep things rolling from that point. So, you know, we'll see if it happens this I, Friday. If they if
1: Nebraska wins Friday, I mean, you get the sense that it won't be so Nebraska nice for Iowa fans no. because <laughs> it hasn't been very Nebraska nice in Nile Kinnick Stadium the last couple of times. A lot of... You know, people. I mean, they they get just huffy and puffy and emotional about beating a, a bad Nebraska team. I mean, yeah, th- these sure. aren't even good Nebraska teams. Wow. I mean, they're okay teams, but the Riley nine win team when Tommy Armstrong couldn't even walk mm. and he played quarterback when he should have been playing. I mean, that that they blew that team out. And man, I've never seen people so huffy, puffy, excited and about beating Nebraska. It's like,
5: I'm sure Iowa will come up with some story about how they were mistreated or didn't Nebraska fans were mean or did something because that seems to be the, the trend where yeah. they find something to, <laughs> to pick at Nebraska about. and uh, It's kind of the story of the series over the last six years.
1: And they they, they act like there's a big mutual respect, and I, I get it. They're, Shenander played at Iowa for Ference or with Ferentz and then Brian, but you get the sense, Nate, there is something there with Brian Ferentz, Frost, and Shenander. I mean, those guys are all kind of the same age. And, and there's a little bit of ego with those those coaches right there, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. they,
0: they all have an ego. I mean, really, every coach has got somewhat of an ego. But, yeah, I feel like those guys are all young, confident guys, and, and they definitely have got an ego. And, um, and I mean, Ferentz – He's got the upper hand right now. Well, yeah, Brian Ferentz, he's got the upper hand, and, and he's not afraid to kind of – Spout off and and say some things. He was at
1: midfield with Frost and those players last year, and they were kind of barking back and forth.
0: Exactly, and and he's made some some comments about the way Nebraska recruits in the past and and things like that, you know, and uh, digs at the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Digs at the pipeline. I mean, he's not afraid to kind of poke the bear a little bit, and and you know, I'm sure that's. I mean, that's another layer to this whole deal.
1: All right, well, when we come back, we're going to delve more into senior day, uh, talk offensive, and we're going to talk Luke McCaffrey. How do you get Luke McCaffrey involved in this game against Iowa? That's next here, listening to the Husker Online Show.
3: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your
4: authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I won't clear that up. He's a quarterback, and he's going to be a quarterback going forward. Um, Right now, you know, we're just thin at skill positions. Um, It's a credit to him and to Mario and his room that he can have not practiced much and go out and play five different positions for us. Uh, Those guys have to know what everybody on the field does, and it also speaks to his competitiveness and his uh, athletic ability. Well, you know, Luke can do it all. I think that's part of his arsenal. You know, he's shown his threats as a receiver, as a quarterback,
0: as a runner, and I think that's uh, another part of our offense that can be dangerous.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as that was Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez talking about the added element of Luke McCaffrey uh, to the offense. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by our friends at Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and one here in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's. It's one of the best college football weekends of the year. We got games on Friday, games on Saturday. Uh, post up at any one of those Tanner's locations. Get some beer, get some wings. Tell them Husker Online Radio sent you in there. Uh, they won't mind to hear that at all. But guys, let, let's let's look more at Luke McCaffrey. Nate, when Luke first came to Nebraska. A lot of our experts on the Red Sea Scrolls, and we got a lot of them on there, um, oh, yeah. um, they thought, you know what, this kid may not even be a quarterback at Nebraska. He could be a receiver because he played receiver at high school. He's Ed McCaffrey's kid. He's Christian McCaffrey's brother, yada, yada, yada. Well, he plays receiver in practice for two days, catches a ball, throws a pass off a reverse, then comes in as a quarterback, uh, a did it shock you? Be, um, I mean, he could be a pretty dang good receiver. He wanted to be.
0: Yeah, he really could be a, a pretty good receiver. It doesn't shock me at all. I mean, I, I've, I've known how athletic he is. You know, you could see it in high school. Like you said, he was he was his brother's backup quarterback, uh, Dylan. You know, who's at Michigan. So. Uh, He was he was kind of the backup, and and meanwhile played wide receiver, put up some great numbers doing that. Uh, Tremendously athletic, of course, uh, coming from that family and and everything. And uh, but the bottom line was when he was recruited, he was recruited as a quarterback. He wasn't recruited as an athlete. He wasn't going to come in here and you know be moved to to wide receiver full time or or whatever. He was going to be a quarterback, but. Uh, I think it does make sense to, you know, especially when you're as thin as Nebraska is at the wide receiver position to move them over there. And, you know, it it adds a whole nother layer to to your offense, things that that the defense has to prepare for and, and be aware of and, um, you know I think we got a glimpse of just you know just how good he could be uh, this this past weekend and and uh, especially you know uh, I think I think it really gives Iowa something to, to have to really work work for and prepare for too. Um, you know I, I think that
5: was kind of a strategic deal by Nebraska. Well, the good. Well, the thing we know going forward is uh, he was a quarterback before that game. He was a quarterback immediately after that game. And on Monday, uh, Scott Frost reiterated for a third time that Luke McCaffrey will continue to be a quarterback. So despite the temporary usage right now, um, long-term case is definitely still at quarterback for Luke McCaffrey. But, yeah, I mean, that just speaks to his all-around ability. I mean, he is about as do-it-all as it gets um, and shows just the different ways that he can hurt you. But what impressed me the most was um, his running ability. I mean, as a quarterback, when he you know, was able to take off in some of those design QB runs... It almost looked effortless with him, and he was beating everyone to the edge. And that's, I mean, that's just pure speed. There was one where he just there. kind of
1: skated, where yeah.
5: it, It's like, he's like, I'm just going to jog, you and, know? And yet he's covering a, <laughs> a lot of ground in a hurry to where he's getting the corner and turning gains that, you know, for the most part this season, be stuffed for a couple yards into, you know, darn near 10 yard first down. So uh, really, you got to be excited about his potential as he continues to develop, you know, as more than just a, a really good all-around athlete into a true quarterback.
1: Yeah, I once heard, Gale Sayers say you know as a running back he would say I'm not even worried about the first guy because I know I'm gonna make that suck a miss but it's the second and third guy I'm starting to look at and McCaffrey's that way the first guy is not getting him very often and he's looking and slowing down and making the cuts and the reads Um, it's it's shaping up to be a decision I mean I think next this spring with McCaffrey if he's on the trajectory path that he's on Um, Spring football could be pretty interesting around here, guys. And that's going to be a lot of shows and discussions for us in the offseason. But I'll be curious what they do with them in this game. If they're struggling on offense to get something going, a bad weather day, you got to put this guy in the game and do something with him to get a spark.
5: Um, He's too good to leave on the bench. We've seen that. I mean, the guy uh, has shined in every opportunity he's gotten. And so, yeah, I mean, you're in a game where your season is literally on the line. It can be extended. There's so much on the table right now with getting to a bowl game and winning this game and let alone winning on senior day and beating Iowa, but getting that extra month of practice to continue to develop this team uh, leading up to next season. I mean, there's just so much at stake that you got to play every card in your hand right now. And you, if you know that Luke McCaffrey can bring, uh, spark or even you know change the course of the game you got to play them I mean regardless of hurting feelings of of who your guys are uh, you got to play the best players that you have available this I mean it's it's you know everything's at stake right
0: now yeah I don't even I don't even think it's a question I think you have to use everything that's available to you to to try and win the game and 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 of of course I think McCaffrey is is one of those weapons uh, that you definitely need I mean Frost you heard Frost talk about how thin they are at the skill positions right now and um, whether that's using McCaffrey as a wide receiver or even putting him in as a quarterback to, to get some things going on, on the ground. Um, and that's not to say that Adrian, I mean, shoot, Adrian ran for almost 100 yards against Maryland. So, I mean, he's been running it much, much better, too. but. Uh, but definitely McCaffrey adds a whole other layer to, uh, to this offense. I think you I think you got to use him on Friday.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk storylines for Friday. And then, you know, Wandell Robinson, too. I asked earlier in the week, you know, just to ask for us a timeline, and I got shut down not once but twice. Uh, didn't even have Wandell acknowledged by the head coach. And, um, you know, my guess is this will go all the way into kickoff Friday morning. It's a hamstring how will he come back on it? We don't talk. We didn't talk to assistant coaches all week either, so there won't be there weren't any backdoor Wandell updates from Troy Walters. I mean, they really, really have tried to control the message, but specifically Robin on Wondell status.
5: Yeah, it's kind of been a move this staff has made a lot this year when it comes to injuries. You know, they they want to make their opponents have to guess about who they're going to see come Saturday or kickoff, and that's going to be the the ploy once again this week. I mean, they're basically they shut it down all week. Uh, you know, or not going to let anything leak uh, about you know who could or couldn't play. And especially with the guy as valuable as Wandale, um, they want to make Iowa have to think about that all week. And, um, you know, if, if he is going to play, you know, they're going to make him prepare for him. And if he's not, you know, they want to have him waste some practice time on a short week getting ready for a guy that might not even be available. So this is all gamesmanship. And Frost has shown that, uh, you know, with with guys, you know, whether it's Aiden Martinez or Wandale Robinson or whoever it may be. Um, he's not going to tip his hand one way or the other. And, you know, that, that team that they're playing that week is going to have to, you know, prepare for, you know, the, the, that guy to play or not.
0: Yeah, he's going to make you prepare for everybody every week. And, um, but I'm not holding my breath necessarily on, on Nebraska having Wando. I think he would bring an awful lot to the table, obviously. Uh, that kind of goes without saying. But, um, you know, is he going to be healthy enough to, to do it? You know, have they managed him? Uh, and, and, and kind of been able to, to shut him down enough to, to have him ready to go against the Hawkeyes, um, you know, that's that's a big question. I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, that hamstring that it happened in the Purdue game, right, it, it must have been – I mean, it must have been way more severe than – Well, Wandell uh,
1: tried to come back in the game, yeah, and they, the medical staff stopped him from yep. going in, and Frost even questioned that in the post game that day. So – Hamstrings are funny, as we know, and Wandell had history of it when he first got here in the spring. They, they backed him down as well in August at times. Um, you just hope this is not going to be a, a chronic deal for a guy like Wandell over his career because, man, he could have a special career.
0: Well, and Ryan Held kind of mentioned last week where he said, you know, we maybe we've used him a little too much or we've, we've put more 25 on 25 carries. Yeah, <laughs> we put more on him than what we ever anticipated putting him, putting on him. And so, you know, maybe this is kind of the direct result of that,
1: unfortunately i Noah also out for the year. Uh, earlier in the week, Scott Frost announced didn't play at Maryland, and Frost announces he had surgery on a meniscus. So not major surgery, but something that he wanted to shut himself down for and, and get repaired here, um, heading into the next steps of his life. So when we come back, we're going to talk defensive storylines against Iowa. Could the weather factor this game? Um, and 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 you look at Iowa's running game. That's all next
3: here. You're listening here to the Scarlet Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
4: Came in at the same time, different paths between us two, but you know, we, we always have the same goal. And, you know, after this, you know, he, he's exhausted all his eligibility. After this, you know, there won't be any more, uh, you know, Nebraska football for Lamar Jackson in Memorial Stadium. So, you know, this this one is, you know, it's big for him to, to you know, go out there and just Lay it on the line, give it all that he's got. That's my guy to the end. That's that's a friend for life. You know, a brother that I have for life. You know, I know I can call him, talk to him about anything. He called me, talk to me about anything. As well as the rest of the seniors in the room: Eric Lee, you know, uh, Reed Carl, and Jeremiah Stovall. You know, uh, all those guys.
1: And we're back here on the Huskar Line show. That was DiCaprio Boodle reflecting on some of the seniors he'll be playing his last game with. Boodle just a junior, but you look at this defense. You've got Lamar Jackson, who's arguably maybe having the best season of any senior on Nebraska's roster and maybe any defender right now. He's playing really, really good football. Darian Daniels, a graduate transfer, then Carlos and Khalil Davis, and then Muhammad Barry. So you've got really five kind of core senior starters on this defense, no starters on offense. So when you look at just senior day, Robin as a whole, um, it's not a very star-studded one, but – all the firepower is probably on the defensive side of the football.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's some guys that um, you know have been through a lot uh, over their career, and that was kind of the message, you know, of the, some of the players. And Scott Frost, uh, you know, when they they talked to us on Monday, was uh, you know this is this group has you know gone through the gauntlet a little bit. You know, they were recruited by one staff, started their careers with another staff, and finished their their careers with a third staff. And so, I mean, that's a lot of transition and a lot of ups and downs, uh, and a lot of just things that they had to work through. Uh, you know, on and off the field. But for the guys that stuck it out, you know, your, your Muhammad Berries, your Lamar Jacksons, you know, that you know could have certainly gone different directions over the course of all that, uh, you know, it's a real credit to them and their determination to kind of see this thing out um, and do as, as good as a job as they possibly could in, in some pretty difficult circumstances. So it, it certainly hasn't been uh, the most glimmering senior class, you know, as far as on-field production. But uh, when you consider, you know, all the, you know, adversity that these guys have had to go through uh you really got to credit those guys that you know finished the job and you know as as tough as things got um you know didn't didn't back away and go looking for greener pastures yeah for as for as crazy as nebraska football has been over the last 15 20 years
0: i mean i think some of these guys may have gotten the worst of it um but spe- you know look at the davis twins for example they were recruited by bo pelini and rick kaczynski and then they come in they they sign with uh with mike riley hank, hank hughes, hughes. And hank then, yeah hank hughes and then uh you know and then they've got uh and then they go through who they, who they got uh perella perella and then they had uh mike dawson and then now on on Tuyoti. so that's uh pelini riley frost that were all kind of involved as far as head coaches go and you got what four or five d-line coaches i mm-hmm. mean they were here. They for had five years. for two years, yeah, and that was it. Pirela for for two years. That's the only guy they had for more than one. It's The only continuity they had in their entire career. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. I'd be a little disgruntled. Yeah, went from I mean, a
5: four three to a three four. Yeah, you know, I mean back to
0: four. Yeah, I mean shoot.
1: You yeah. know what though, Khalil Davis right now um, is fourth in the Big Ten in sacks. He's got nine, eight, eight on the year, yeah. and the guys ahead of him right now, Chase Young and the two Wisconsin linebackers, and then yeah. it's Khalil Davis. Wow. So
5: you're talking about some of the best pass rushers in the country are only separating him from, from the top of the list. No, so. he had
1: three against Rutgers. Two so, and a half. Two, so he padded, he padded the numbers against – not Six Rutgers, Kings, Mar- Maryland. Uh, Maryland. I'm yeah. getting my, uh, my 2014 <laughs> add-on teams <laughs> screwed up here. But, um, yeah, Khalil – I mean, he's – Khalil and Lamar, I mean, are, I'm not saying they're playing at an All-Big Ten level, but they're at least like in the conversation for, for honors. You know, yeah. I think both those guys have played well um, for Nebraska this well, year.
5: Well, especially when you look at, you know, who are the best player, or best Nebraska's best chances to have someone go play on the next level and get drafted. I mean, I would probably put those two at the top of the list right maybe now. Maybe Darian Daniels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, but, I mean, you know, you, Lamar Jackson's probably as good of a story as there is on this team as far as where he was you know a year and a half ago when he was demoted uh, from the starting lineup didn't he lose his black shirt or something like that and then had you know was basically at a crossroads in his whole career and he took the right path he stuck it out and he worked his way back into the equation and I think earned a lot of respect and trust from that coaching staff with with the way that he handled himself and you know like I said kind of didn't didn't back away from a little adversity uh, and so he stuck it out and you know really changed his entire career to where this year he's finally playing at the level that we all hoped and expected he would when he came here as, as such a high profile recruit yeah if anyone could have bounced and and taken the you know taken a path of the
0: least Oregon resistance. state route yeah i mean shoot uh it could have been lamar um, or probably should have been i guess you know when when you look back at it uh but he didn't he he stuck it he stuck through it and and uh um, you know, I think you have to obviously you have to give a lot of credit to him, but um you know, I, I think if, if he if this goes the way we think it will and he gets drafted in the NFL and everything, um, he probably is gonna you know, oh you know, call up Travis Fisher and Scott Frost and, and say, Hey, thanks for thanks for getting me back on track there because uh, who knows what would happen had, had had he bounced and, and gone somewhere else.
1: And this will be a different kind of game for the defense, um, especially with weather, wind possible rain snow whatever all the above is going to bring us here on friday Um, i think for the defense it's really just going to come down to fundamentals physicality and tackling i mean there's not going to be a lot of big bomb passes down the field i mean it's going to be can you get your hands up and deflect passes can you get to uh nate stanley which has not been easy to do Um, But this is one of the rare times Nebraska will see a quarterback that doesn't move. I mean, he's a statue, three-step drop pocket quarterback. So I think they they can try to get creative and and, and get to Stanley and and disrupt him a little bit. And they're going to have to force some turnovers.
5: Yeah, and so a lot of people, they look at Iowa and they think, wow, they have a really good run game, but statistically, it's not. I mean, they're only averaging 131 yards per game.
1: It's more a product of their offensive line.
5: Right, so that's the thing, what they do. They wear teams down. They're not going to score a bunch. They've only, I don't think they've scored over 30 points all season, uh, but, you know, they're they're just going to milk the clock. They're going to control possession, control the tempo of the game, and just beat on you with body blow after body blow, similar to Wisconsin, but without that game breaking ability of a Jonathan Taylor. And so, uh, for Nebraska's defense, they I mean, this is going to be a four-quarter battle for them. Uh, you know, the, Iowa's defense is uh, the reason why they're eight and three right now. But for Nebraska's defense is concerned, they they have to just prevent those big uh, you know haymaker shots. You know, whether it's a, a pass where a tight end slips behind a linebacker that we've seen so many times, uh, and you know they got to be able to just withstand uh, Iowa's offensive line. You know, the, that's as good of a group as they've seen probably you know outside of Wisconsin uh, all season. And so you know, the fact that it's this late in the season on a short week uh how uh up for the physical challenge Nebraska's defense is will ultimately determine this game, I think. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Robin. I, I think that you've
0: got to try and find a way to to create a turnover um and, and try to find you know, a way to, to have Iowa beat itself uh there. I mean, because they're gonna do what they do. Their their offensive line is very, very good. Um and and they're gonna try to control this game. And so Nebraska's got to tackle well and, and then try to come up with with a with a turnover or two to try and you know flip things on its head because uh, they're going to try and limit your overall offensive plays just like Wisconsin did uh, with that with that time of possession.
1: And Wisconsin, uh, or I'm sorry, Iowa, trying to play for a nine and three year. A lot of people think the Holiday Bowl is where they're heading. Uh, Nebraska just trying to get to a bowl, and I mean, used to be kind of a thing you take for granted here, but now after not going to a bowl since 2016. Um, it's a bigger deal around here, and I don't know what bowl. I mean, I'm not even thinking about it because obviously it's going to be and there's five-win talk right now, but it's still a little premature to even get into that until after the games are played um, based on APR and all these other things out there. Um, It's kind of a long shot. I mean, I I would think if Nebraska's 5-7, and They'd have maybe a 15 percent chance of getting in as a 5 one team, but
5: yeah, a lot of it ha- has to do with you know what else happens with that uh, six to seven-loss uh, group over the next week or two, including Army uh, with Army-Navy games. So here's what you do: win on Friday, end this debate, well, go to a bowl, and you know. And you're kind of an attractive bowl.
1: I mean, if Nebraska were to beat Iowa, they would be an attractive six and six bowl team at least for the conference partners, because there'd be people that say, you know what? We just beat, I'm excited. Let's go somewhere and watch Nebraska on the road now. And, It's been a while. It's going a bowl trip, and (laughs) I've been on one with you for a while, Rob, and I want to go on
5: one with you again. Hey, you know, last bowl game we went to wasn't even Nebraska's bowl game. It was the Peach, or yeah, the Chick Fil A Bowl, or whatever it is. We
1: we took advantage of that time
5: (laughs) covering Scott Frost Central Florida teams. All
1: right. When we come back, we're going to talk mailbag. Uh, We've got Husker Online's Mike Wheeler joining us in here for that. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
3: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
4: Yeah, Senior Day was special for me. I think it's special for all the guys the last time they get a chance to be out there. Hopefully in a a game like this, playing a, a really good team. Last game of the year, you don't need any more juice. I think it's just a special opportunity for guys to enjoy it one last time.
0: Yeah, well, the seniors have been through a lot here, and um, I'll always be thankful for that group, and I know this team will be as well. And and really, we're just focused on this week. We want to do our best each day here and, and prepare appropriately for Iowa.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan around Washington, Nate Klaus, uh, Mike Wheeler joining us here. As you heard, Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez talking about senior day and just what it means here uh, going into Friday's game with Iowa. But now it's time for the mailbag. Mike, what do you have?
2: All right, guys, so for the offense this week, does the way that the offense has has played the last few weeks, and particularly the way uh, Mills and the offensive line have performed, give you any sort of confidence that the Huskers can be one of two teams to put up more than 20 points on the Iowa defense? I
1: think the weather is going to be something to watch. Uh, it could limit everyone's scoring in this game Friday, if it's windy or cold. Um, it just depends what it's doing. But I feel fairly confident Nebraska will put the most points on Iowa's defense this year of any team. Uh, 24 is the most. Um, I think we'll see Nebraska over 24. It's a right. matter of can they hold Iowa under 30 or whatever the number is going to be.
5: Yeah, I think that's I – mean, if they need to get to that number to have a chance. I mean, I think 24 is probably your benchmark because uh, – you know, I was going to, they're just not going to give you very many opportunities to score. And so, Nebraska's ability to finish drives and not settle for field goals, their red zone efficiency was really good against Maryland, but a lot of those were field goals. I mean, they they left a lot of points on the board that uh, could have made that even more lopsided than it was. And that's been an issue for them all season. You cannot expect to go beat Iowa with, uh, you know, trading field goals because, like I said, it's, it's just like Wisconsin, they're going to milk the clock as much as they possibly can and try and wear you down to where, uh, you know, if you find yourself having to rally, against that team is going to make it very difficult so uh, points will be at a premium far more so than ever especially like you said Sean with the weather
0: yeah if they don't get to 24 points I don't think they've really got a shot to to win this football game I think they've got to at least be the have a chance you have to put up at least 24 and
2: and uh, you know take advantage of all your opportunities so kind of on the flip side of that we've heard Frost say that that number uh, to keep the opponents under is 30 points how do you guys feel that the Iowa offense matches up against the Nebraska defense
1: Iowa offense versus the Nebraska defense, I think they don't do anything fancy. I guess the matchup you worry about is can Nebraska's D-line fare better than a year ago? These are the same guys for the most part other than Darian Daniels now added into that mix. Um, You go back and watch the game in Iowa City, Nebraska's D-linemen were pushed back three, four yards um, at contact. And, you know, Iowa's running backs were getting a consistent six to eight yards early in that game. Can they stand up to that and limit those sideways runs, as Frost said, those stretch plays where Nebraska has just been owned by a much bigger physical Iowa offensive line?
5: Yeah, so if that front seven plays the way it did against Wisconsin, they can do it for four quarters. Uh, they're going to have a great chance to win it. But the next step is uh, the tackling in space. The secondary in that Wisconsin game was atrocious tackling the ball. They're taking terrible angles, not wrapping up, uh, You know, it just kind of like elementary tackling mistakes. And so it goes beyond just the D line and linebackers holding up against the offensive line. It comes down to that secondary, which, uh, you know, has, has – gone through you know a lot of injury setbacks and moving pieces around can they have their best tackling game of the season? Because they cannot afford to have those types of breakdowns where I was racking up yards after contact, the way Wisconsin did. Cause if that happens, then I was going to stay on schedule with drives and they're going to wear down that clock. And you know, that, that advantage that Iowa's offense does have as far as time of possession is going to get even more lopsided.
0: Yeah. I think uh, for me, it's, I'm going to be paying attention to the linebackers. You know, what are the linebackers in their run fits? Uh, because I, I keep looking back to the Minnesota game and you know, that was a game where the, you know, at first you, I think your initial impression was that the D-line was just getting whooped up front. But when you go back and, and take a closer look, it was the linebackers were out of place all night long in that game. And, um, and I think that, you know, when I look at this game, I, I see Iowa trying to, trying to get those linebackers out of their run fits. And, and that's an area where they could really exploit this defense. So uh, I think it comes down to the,
2: to the linebackers there. So earlier in the show, you guys did hit on the potential of a bowl game. But uh, specifically, what are the bowl practices, what are they going to mean to Nebraska this season? What would a bowl mean for the program?
1: I mean, I I just think the biggest thing is you keep things going another month. and not having practice in December is a big deal and I don't care what kind of just organized team things for another month is the biggest thing I look at because all of a sudden then that little break you gets not as big of a break and guys are in better shape to start winter conditioning which hasn't happened in a long time but I, Robin and I have been around enough bowl practices I mean they're good but they're just fundamental practices I mean they don't you know young guys might get more reps here and there but they don't even necessarily do 15. There's always this saying 15 practice, but that's just kind of a a saying, it, you know, that it could be 10, 12. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you get 15 practices. I just think it's more keeping your team together another month.
5: Yeah, that's by far the most part. I mean, be, being able to keep the structure of the season together, especially with a young team like Nebraska has, uh, is really really invaluable in a lot of different ways and so uh, again something that they haven't had the luxury of in you know going on three years now so just to have that extra month of keeping your team together under the oversight of this coaching staff uh, will really help serve as a springboard you know regardless of the outcome of the bowl serve as a springboard into next season to where you can keep this thing as close together without that massive break from December to to March
1: and Nate a lot of times in those December practices um, especially this year the graduate assistants and the Quality control guys will probably run a lot of those practices.
0: Yeah, they're running a lot of those practices because because of recruiting, a lot of the coaches are going to be out on the road, uh, especially this year. You'll, the window for the two con- weeks, yeah, for the contact period is extremely small, and so um, so yeah, a lot of those uh, GAs and whatnot are going to be running the practices, and, and it goes beyond the practices. Um, the the hours, the amount of hours that you can have uh, access to the players uh, is uh, is increased. During the bull prep and in, in, uh, during the month of December, so I think typically you only get kids for about 20 hours a week or whatever it is, and uh, and I think that's the other added aspect to this why why it would be a big deal uh, beyond just being a, a springboard into next
2: season. We got time for two quick ones, Mike. What do you got left? All right, guys. So uh, heading over to basketball, if you had to make a prediction right now, what would you say, or would you say the Nebraska basketball team beats any Big Ten team this year?
5: Yeah, I do. They play (laughs) Northwestern at home. And if you haven't been following Northwest, even though they did beat Providence, they've been probably just about as bad as Nebraska has. So yes, by that point in the season, I think Nebraska figures out a lot of its issues. uh, And when Northwestern comes to town at the end of the year, I think that's their senior day, March 1st. uh, That's probably their best chance to get a conference victory. And I said before the year, I would sell every or give away everything I owned if Nebraska went one and 19 in conference play. So uh hoping they get a couple well, more. Well, you know, so this offense,
2: you can't live in the office.
5: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a couch. <laughs> I can sleep there.
2: All right, guys, uh, final one here. Uh, Thanksgiving now this week. Uh, is there a particular entree, side, or dessert that your family makes every year for Thanksgiving that gets you guys just a little bit more excited for the holiday?
1: My random one, my mom makes a spaghetti corn, mm. and it's really good, like a cheesy spaghetti corn type deal. Ooh, and then. I mean, obviously the, the the traditional ones. I mean, who doesn't like turkey? I like. I'm what team dark meat though over here.
5: Mm, see, I'm I'm white meat. I'm white meat all the way. I'll, I'll eat I'll eat dark meat, but yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, I'm equal. Opportunity. You guys didn't eat
1: the drumstick growing up? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. But
5: like I said, that's I, dark meat. If I had to pick one, I'm picking the. I'm going with breast over the drumstick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, my favorite, uh, you know, aside from the staples, deviled eggs, I'm a deviled egg guy, And I could probably make a meal just out of a platter of deviled eggs, but I usually have to stop myself at some point. Yeah. I've got uh, cheesy potatoes in, in my
0: is, okay. is family. Is that dish. a Ruth Klaus deal? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and my wife's family makes good cheesy potatoes too. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's one dish that, that I always get excited about.
1: I think we're all seeing Frozen 2 over Thanksgiving around that time, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we be, all have daughters. It'll so. be a big day. Yep. That'll be the talk of our Thanksgivings. <laughs> all right, Mike, what's yours before you get out of here?
2: You know, uh, deviled eggs is a pretty good one. That's like currency in my family. But one that I really <laughs> like is uh, my uncle actually buys Lithuanian tort cake every Ooh. year. And that's, I got a little, that's good stuff.
1: My mom makes that. Um, you know, the Lithuanian bakery uh, is a South Omaha place. I um, grew up around the the, the Muskevages family. They own that bakery for years, and, and those are outstanding.
2: I just introduced my whole roommates to uh, to the Lithuanian tour cake uh, on Sunday. We had our friends given that day. So,
1: All right. Well, when we, thanks for joining us, Mike. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you at the Iowa game here on Friday.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online
4: Show.
3: Listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
4: We gotta have guys. That's an area of our game that has to improve. We'll definitely, if we find the right guys, scholarship them, have them here for four years. That being said, if there's a good kicker in the state of Nebraska, we're gonna try to get him here, give them an opportunity. Obviously, I, I, Chris Brown was here when I when I played, but we also had Jesse Cush and Bill Lafleur and. Teddy Retzloff and some local guys that did a great job for us. And and there's been a history of that in Nebraska. So uh, we got to get it fixed first and then uh, do what we can to get the right Nebraska kids in here to do the job.
1: Final segment here of the Husker online show. That was head coach Scott Frost talking about Nebraska's future kicker situation. And this segment of the Husker online show is brought to you by our friends, at Coogler Vision, Nate Klaus, tell them about your experience with Kugler Vision.
0: Well, yeah, I just uh, happened to have another experience this past weekend where I'm glad I had uh, LASIK corrective surgery. And that was when I was driving to to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the snow just came out of nowhere. It was dark, snowy, um, and didn't have to try and search for, for my glasses or anything like that. I was I was good to go on the road uh, and, and was able to make it to Tulsa uh in time safely so uh, another another reason why I'm glad I had uh, the LASIK procedure done
1: well Nate you just heard Scott Frost um, I asked him because I really think there is something there right now with the future of the kicker position I get it Burt Pickering is on scholarship he's a second year player in the program and when you do that you want the guy to be the guy for four years but what they went through this year I just don't think they can afford to ever ever be in this situation again at Nebraska and you saw, you've seen them exhaust their options this week um, with two walk-on guys they brought onto the team late in the year in um, Walbach and in Harrison. Um, these two kids that they brought in, and you know they're bringing in other kickers. I mean, what is your read on the future of the kicker position and, and what they're doing in recruiting right now?
0: Well, I mean, they're they're definitely being active uh, with with kickers, uh, both not only in the 2020 class but 2021 too they've brought in a lot of guys um you know to, uh, for unofficial visits and everything this this year and um, they're not scholarship guys necessarily but they are looking to add to the depth I think at the very least um you know regardless of what happens with Barrett Pickering I think you need to to have depth that you're comfortable with there and because like we saw you know, all of a sudden you have one or two injuries and, and now you're scrambling and you're trying to you're trying to, uh, you know, create something out of nothing. And so I think they want to increase their depth at the very least. And, uh, you know, maybe two things that, that really stick out to me or, or the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that they're looking at bringing in a couple junior college uh, kickers uh, for, for walk-ons. They've offered one for sure uh, as a, the kicker out of Iowa Western. They've offered him a preferred walk-on scholarship. Um to come in and, and, you know, he'd have two years to kick. And so uh, they're looking for guys that have some experience. And then they're also looking to bring in, like Frost said in that sound bite, they're looking to bring in the best kickers, uh, best high school kickers in the state uh, to come in and, and, uh, you know, give it a go here.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. It is Iowa weekend. It is a home game. Um, There are just three opportunities left for Nebraska to bring in official visitors before the early signing day. The coaches will begin in-home visits starting December 1st on Sunday night. Is that right, Nate? Yep. Um, So they will be in living rooms. Um, So a lot of times what's going to happen are these recruits will be in town Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and, you know, most of the coaches will be on flight Saturday afternoon, Saturday after- evening to get into living rooms for Sunday night.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, there's this is the time of year where there's, there's no rest uh, for, for the wicked. I mean, you've got to, uh, you've got a very short p- window to, to get a lot done here, especially with Nebraska, 13 commits right now. And they'd like to have, you know, 2021 or so sign on December 18th. So you have, I mean, the, the window to make a lot happen. is is pretty small, and so uh, they're going to bring in at least three official visitors this weekend for the game. And then, like you said, immediately following that recruiting weekend, they're hitting the road, and and they're going to be in living rooms and um, and really trying to trying to lock down a lot of these guys that still remain on their board here. So uh, it's going to be kind of a fast and furious finish here, I think, leading up to the early signing period because that's, I mean, let's face it, that's when ninety percent of the action has to happen. Because after December eighteenth, you know, the I mean, the only guys that don't sign early are basically your five star guys. Uh, or your, your lower-rated guys that are rolling the dice thinking that, the, that there might be something bigger. It's like bigger searching to the day-old
1: bread, trying to find yeah. a, a good loaf yep. of expired bread. Exactly. I mean, there's, this, there's just not a lot left that goes past. And we learned that more than ever last year. Because mm-hmm. I think year one of the earlier signing date, there was a little bit more left. Yeah, there was, yeah. But year two... I think coaches learn how to strategize it better. And I think some of the better coaches realize, man, there's not going to be much left. So they're pressuring guys to sign in December. Otherwise, they won't have a spot.
0: Well, and I think some kids are using it to their advantage, too, because what we saw last year, I mean, there's some, you know, some, some positions of need, right, where I think some kids that would typically would have signed with a the mid-tier school decided not to. And all of a sudden, you know, the – you know, like let's say an offensive tackle, for instance, you know, if, if he had Middle Tennessee and Memphis and, you know, maybe some some mid-tier programs or whatever. Then um, every
1: new SEC staff exactly, comes in on him. Yeah.
0: And then all the coaching changes happen. And, and, you know, he decides not to sign. All the coaching changes happen. And, um, you know, the, you've got you've got SEC teams and, you know, Power 5 programs saying, hey, we, we are – super thin at offensive tackle and um you know even though this kid may be a mid-tier talent after signing day he's he's looked at as as uh you know a prized possession there so um you know some kids are using it to their advantage too and and props to them for doing so
1: Uh, i compare it to to women you know if there's a bunch of coaches going out and there's one woman left on the bar and you got all these guys with big egos they all think they're going to get the girl and and that's yeah. how the, the the later part of recruiting has become where people just circle around the same kid um that's left but what do you think nate i mean is it going to just do you expect week one of the um the live period i mean to to, to yield some commits i mean it's i mean it's the time's running out here man yeah
0: it really is and and to be honest with you, I thought, I thought that they would have gotten a couple more uh, up to now, you know, between, you know, over the last three weeks, I figured they, they would have gotten at least one or two. And and I know that there's a lot that happened in that Wisconsin weekend that has kind of been off the radar or, or under the radar. Uh, I think there may have been a, a silent commit or two or whatever that, that happened that weekend. But um, yeah, I, I do think that we could see a lot of action in this first week of the contact period. But um i mean they they need to see a lot of action i mean uh, because it's getting to crunch time it's it is it is time where they need to make an awful lot happen in, in a short amount of time
1: and you think like in-state guy like what about luke Gifford or i've or isaac gifford excuse me i mean do you think um he's somebody or a ty hon i mean could something move with these guys now
0: i mean it's possible um i, I wouldn't i wouldn't Count it out or rule it out. I, I think that uh, that both those guys had the type of senior seasons that at least make you think twice about. Okay, well, uh, how can we how can we fit these guys into our program and how can we make it work? And so, um, you know, it's something I would pay attention to, but at the same time, I wouldn't. I'm not going to say yes. Most it's definitely, a sure thing. yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it's a, a, a slam dunk situation just yet, uh, but certainly. I, I guarantee you that this is a conversation that's being had up in in the North Stadium uh, in the football offices. Okay, um, you know how do we how do we make this work? How how do we how do we get these guys in our class?
1: And then last thing, Nate, you were in Tulsa last weekend. You saw Sevion Morrison. You've seen pretty much most of the top guys now in person in this class. Sevion Morrison, the best guy in the class right now.
0: I mean, he's right up there. Uh, he's super impressive. And the unfortunate thing was is that he, he uh, you know, he got injured uh, or he, he was kind of coming into the game with a with a bad hamstring and uh, he tried to gut it out and, and he did a good job for the most part, but uh, he kind of got shut down. Uh, his medical staff shut him down and not only did he have a hamstring injury, but he was dealing with the flu. So we show up to the game and Sevion is puking in a trash can on the sideline, and I go, "Oh boy, this, this is not good." We just it's, drove seven <laughs> hours. Yeah, and so um, you know, and, and uh, first play of the game from scrimmage for for Tulsa Edison is a seventy-one yard touchdown catch uh, by Sevion Morrison, and then uh, two series later, he rips off a seventy-one yard uh, touchdown run, and you are going, "Holy cow!" Uh, I mean, it's he what he does on the field just makes your jaw drop, and he makes it look so easy. Um, and you can tell why Ryan held was not only the first coach to, to offer him, but why he made Savion Morrison a priority. Cause I think he's a perfect fit in this offense. Uh, he can be a receiver. He can be running back. Um, he runs, his vision is elite. Um, you know, he's got great speed. He's a, he's a game breaker, but I think his vision, especially on those zone reads or those, those stretches, those stretch plays, uh, I mean, he can make a cut and he's gone. And, Uh, and no one's catching him. And so, you know, right now he's six foot, 194 pounds. Uh, I think that he can get into Lincoln, uh, when he, when he graduates in May uh, he's going to add some some nice uh, strength and, and muscle mass to his frame. He's he's going to be a problem uh, for a long time, I think, for Big Ten uh, Big Ten defenses. So I'm really really excited about him.
1: Well, it's sure to be a busy weekend uh, with the game. Obviously, a lot going on in basketball, but recruiting it's going to really start to pick up here. And Nate, Mike, Mattia, and Brian Munson and the entire Husker Online team will have you covered. <laughs>